You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 48, Remembering Amanda Lilly. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 48 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Patrick. Hey, Brian. So we've got some Doctor Who, we've got some Walking Dead Mm -hmm. season finale to talk about today. Before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and get Monday out of the way, because Monday was pretty miserable for a bunch of reasons. A miserable Monday. And so, starting out with, on Monday, SpongeBob creator Stephen Hillensburg passed away. Uh, he was 57. We also lost anime writer Akira Mirazaki. He was 84. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, hmm. Yeah, that was on Monday also. He had bile duct cancer. Oh, and so, wow. But the one that I definitely wanted to talk about today, and if you're not local, this may not be a name that you're familiar with, but certainly for us, mm-hmm. a very familiar name. Amanda Lilly, a local cosplayer. Mm-hmm. She was a member of the Star Wars mm-hmm. battalion here. She was also a member, of course, of, of, Ghostbusters. of mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters with Virginia Division. Mm-hmm. And she passed away Monday after a sudden illness, which was complicated by apparently she had a thyroid issue that she wasn't aware of that right. nobody knew about. And uh, she was 30. And I knew her a little bit. I saw her at a lot of the conventions. Of course, you being in Ghostbusters, I'm sure you knew yeah, her very you well. Yeah, parades, same thing, uh, parades, conventions, cosplay events, hospital visits, you know, shopping trips, that sort of thing, yes. Last year, we did at Pop Expo. She was one of the Sanderson sisters, and I was a Hocus Pocus, and I was a grown-up Danny. So we did a sketch for Pop Expo with the Ghostbusters, that they were hunting the Sanderson sisters, and I was floored. Mm-hmm. It was a shock, because it happened so quickly, and mm-hmm. especially with the fact that you know she was perfectly fine a few days ago, and then this hit so quickly. Of course, like I said, I, I knew her from conventions, and I think at the Pop Expo in South Charleston, I think she might have been the one who did the slime demo. Probably. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that they're going to be doing... On Saturday, mm-hmm. they're going to be having a sort her of services. Uh, her mm-hmm. services. And, and instead of flowers, they're asking that people donate money and toys to the toy drive. Right. Now, some people who are not familiar with Ghostbusters, they might think that this is just a group of people who get together and, and dress up in costumes and, and like the movie. And, well, they mm-hmm. do dress up in costumes and they do like the movie. Mm-hmm. But they also do a lot of it's outreach. charity. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of charity, a lot of outreach. They visit sick children in hospitals, and every year they do a toy drive. They do the toy drive all year long, and uh, they basically get toys for children who otherwise wouldn't get Mm -hmm. them. Foster care, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of group homes, a lot of kids with incarcerated parents. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's all local. You know, we could do, like, Toys for Tots, but, you know, they have a lot of help. So this is Children's Home Society, so it's local, and, you know, we work really hard, and going out and a lot of people will donate money and donate toys, but the Ghostbusters actually go out on Black Friday at midnight and they dress up in their gear, go out to Walmart and actually buy these toys. And it's a sight to see. Yeah, which (laughs) which I believe she did as well this year. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
it's usually around like ten to twelve thousand dollars worth mm-hmm. of toys that yep. that you guys donate. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that, especially with all the talk about toxic fandom, Amanda was the antithesis of that. Absolutely. Not only was she you know, very dedicated and devoted to her fandom, both Star Wars and Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. but she is always a good influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was never petty. She was everything that you would want someone in a fandom to be. And on top of that, she took her fandom and turned it into service. Mm-hmm. And she served her community through her fandom. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, and it has just an outpouring of the stories that people are sharing about Amanda and her family was absolutely blown away by the happy stories, the stories of joy that she brought. There's videos of her dancing at Mothman Festival, and it definitely was a light that was was snuffed out too soon. Absolutely. So, Amanda, Godspeed. Mm-hmm. You will be missed. And so with that, uh, let's go into get a little bit of good news. Okay. Uh, you uh, mentioned something today that you were excited about. I am, Brian. I was... An early on fan, you know, like in my very college years, late teens, very early 20s, of Artemis Fowl. Mm-hmm. And really back in 2002, I was on IMDb every day, or might have been 2003, I can't remember, but many years ago in A Kingdom by the Sea, I was on IMDb every day watching for when the Artemis Fowl movie was going to be made. But I look back at that now and I think, good, good, I'm glad that they... We didn't get the movie until now because we weren't ready for it. Oh, yeah. One one thing that I can remember in the early days of, you know, I guess the literary boom that was the early 2000s when there were certain people that said, don't let your kids read Harry Potter because it's the devil. Their alternative was Artemis Fowl. Right. And if you don't know anything about Artemis Fowl, you do know that Artemis is a pagan goddess. But the Artemis Fowl series is about a boy genius who discovers the lower elements, which are the dwarves, the fairies, the centaurs, the goblins, and he captures one because his father's gone missing and is looking for their help. And so we've got this world that Owen Coffer, if you've, you may know the the name Owen Coffer because he took over for Douglas Adams. Right. He wrote the last few Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books. So he has this series. There's several books now, and it's been so long since I have read them, but there's so many characters. There's this world is so so dense and there's such depth to it so the lower elements they all live underground and their technology is vastly vastly superior to that of humans but they still have to abide by magic law they cannot enter a house unless a human invites them into the house so you have the lower elements police lep and then you have the reconnaissance team lep recon leprechaun so that's where (laughs) that's where the lore of leprechaun came from they're the lower elements police reconnaissance team and i believe when the series first starts holly it's i think she's sergeant holly and i think later on she gets a promotion so artemis fowl captures sergeant holly and a fairy so that's the first the adventure of the first book so i'm really excited about this. I don't think they could have picked a better director than Kenneth Branagh for this. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's he's going to be solid. Yeah. I mean, the language that they use in this mm-hmm. book 
and the way uh, Artemis Fowl talks, because he's a 10-year-old, but he's a genius. In some of the Laker books, as he's growing up, I believe he's like 14 or something, he's going, he ends up with a crush on a girl, and he says to his bodyguard that, Something along the lines of puberty is making me less effective. (laughs) So, and we know that Kenneth Branagh can work with kids because, you know, the Harry Potter movies. Right. And so, I have no doubt that he can make this movie what it's supposed to be. Do we have a release date for this yet? Do we know? Mm, I don't know. It was just a teaser. And we've only seen The Humans. We've only seen Butler the Bodyguard and Artemis Fowl. Uh, We haven't seen The Centaur. We haven't seen uh, Holly. We haven't seen... I know Josh Gad is playing... Oh, is it Goblin or Dwarf? But they're the tunnelers. They eat through solid rock. And it's a really funny character with some really interesting powers is the character that Josh Gad is playing. Yeah, well, I would think that if they're already doing teaser trailers, that they're well beyond principal photography at this Mm -hmm. point. So maybe sometime in uh, 2019? Let's hope. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Something else that was announced today that was really exciting to me is that Adult Swim... Is getting ready to come out with a new anime that is in the world of Blade Runner. So what? there's going to be a Blade Runner anime series put out by Adult Swim. Wow. Uh, that's just all of Adult Swim's anime is, you know, brought over from mm-hmm. Japan. That's wow. Uh, yeah. They're, well, really... they're going to be work. I, I forget what the name of the company is that, that they're teaming up with, but it's an anime company. Wow. So. So we're going to be getting the adventures in the world of Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. This, this neo-noir, yeah. cyberpunk kind of, wow. That's going to be very interesting. It kind of sounds like something that Netflix would have done. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Netflix, what did they just uh, announce? Live action Cowboy Bebop. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, wow. What do you think, Brian? I have to say, they've not disappointed me yet. I mean, obviously, we've had these issues where you've gone live-action anime and it's not worked so well. The Last Airbender. but now, Some Netflix? of them I haven't seen. Uh, Ghost in the Shell? Was that? Yeah, that was a movie. Okay, I didn't watch and it. And it, it got mixed reviews. Oh, really? Oh. And, and part of that, I think, had to do where you have an Asian character who's played by Scarlett Johansson. And, and some, people, <gasps> yeah. some people were really beating the drum as far as you know, whitewashing and that right. sort of thing. And I certainly understand that. Mm-hmm. But Netflix, they I have to say, they do very well mm-hmm. with their series, and I'm really excited to see what the, what happens Oh, there. Death Note. Death Note. Now, I didn't watch the anime, so I didn't have anything to compare it to, mm-hmm. uh, like I will with Cowboy Bebop. Right. You know, and I've heard different things about the Death Note. People like it. People didn't like it. The same sort of thing, whitewashing, you know, but... Um, I didn't mind it. Um, it wasn't my favorite. I watched it once. I don't plan on going back. It was interesting. Well, it's it's a difficult thing to do when you take a property, or any kind of a property, and reboot it, recreate it in a different way. Because people are, of course, if they've seen the original, that's what they love. And mm-hmm. if you bring out something new that's not like that original, it can be very difficult mm-hmm. for people. And I, and I definitely get that. So, mm-hmm. But... Netflix has done really good with their series, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what they do with Cowboy Bebop. It should be pretty cool. Now, one other thing that came out in the news, and we talked about Dr. Sleep and how excited mm-hmm. we were that there was going to be a sequel to The Shining. Right. Those warm, fuzzy feelings you get don't come very often. <laughs> but they may be coming again because Margaret Atwood just announced... She is currently writing a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, how perfect. That's really is kind of perfect. Perfect timing. Way to go, Miss Adwood. (laughs) Yeah. 
I have a feeling that the television show has probably inspired her to follow the story and take it a few years down the road. I'm wanting to say maybe 10 years, 10, 15 years. Oh, wow. Okay. From the original book to find out Mm -hmm. what happened to, to Offred. I know a lot more people are reading the book since the TV series came out. So a lot more people have, you know, downloaded it and went and bought it physically and have read it. Yeah. Well, it's an epistiary novel, and so there are certain things that you don't learn reading the book. There are questions, and so there's certainly things that she can cover in the new book. But especially with you know the state of politics today and everything else that's going on, she'll certainly have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and I'm going to be happy to read it. I don't know if the book's going to make me happy. It's a mm. very... Of course, the original is really depressing. It's, I would say, a literary double feature with 1984. Mm -hmm. It goes down that... It's true to the dystopian genre. Yeah, and I haven't watched the TV show because I know how it would affect me. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I know people have, and they just rave about it. I did see the 1990 movie. Mm -hmm. It looks very different from, you know, I've just seen pictures. Right. Their clothes are sort of much more alluring. They're not as oppressive in the 1990 uh, movie. Their costumes are much different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's something. Margaret Atwood is an amazing writer. She's one of my favorites. And it's an understatement to say that I'm really excited to see what she does with this new book. And I can't wait to get my hands on it and read it and probably be even more depressed than, <laughs> than, I, than I was with the first one. But... I know it's going to be an instant classic, and I'm, I can't wait for it. Yeah, as far as speculative fiction, I think Handmaid's Tale and Man in the High Castle, or mm. alternate history. I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm thinking of, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully alternate history. I would, hate to, I, I would hate to see the world of The Handmaid's Tale actually manifest itself in reality. That would be pretty bad, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And so, one other thing I wanted to talk about, and this ties back into last week because you were talking about uh, Doctor Who and that you'd read an article that Chris Chibnall uh, may be leaving the show. Mm-hmm. And Jodie Whittaker wants to go with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I decided to do a little research on this and see what I could find out. And so I fell into the Doctor Who rabbit hole mm-hmm. this week and it wasn't altogether pleasant. Oh no. There were all these references to an article about the announcement. All I was saying was people talking about the article, but I didn't get a chance to actually read the article until later. And so they finally published the article, and basically what they were saying is, and they said this was a rumor. Nothing Nothing, set in stone. Yeah, nothing, Mm -hmm. no one was saying anything. But they were saying that the rumor had it that Chris Chibnall wasn't happy with BBC's interference in a lot of the show, Hmm. and that he was thinking of leaving. They said that this is what they had heard. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of it was pretty much speculation because they were saying, well, if he leaves, will Jodie Whittaker leave with him? You know, they work together in Broadchurch mm-hmm. and all that. Would, you know, would she leave? And so a lot of this avalanche effect was mostly speculation. Mm-hmm. So you had a rumor and then you had a bunch of speculation. Well, if it is true and Chris Chibnall leaves, what else could happen? And so a lot of this other stuff was, was that. But again, Nobody's been able to say, hey, this is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Nobody's coming forward to say any of this. But the other problem I ran into is as I was doing research for this, I saw an article that discussed Neil Gaiman and his experiences in Doctor Who. He wrote The Doctor's Wife, Mm -hmm. which is a fantastic episode. And then he wrote Nightmare in Silver, which wasn't quite as good. Mm -hmm. It had its issues. 
Okay. Although it had a, a really interesting take on the Cybermen that I liked. But it was an uneven episode. When I read this article, basically Neil Gaiman said that he's not a big fan of Nightmare and Silver because the BBC took his script and, and did a bunch of rewrites on it. Oh, okay. Which might explain why it was uneven. And he also mentioned that he knew other writers that had had their stuff. Messed with. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, I gotta say that that doesn't make me happy to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying that the, that the writer's work needs to be sacrosanct mm-hmm. and that you don't touch it at all. I mean, everything needs editing. But I gotta tell you, I work as an editor. I edit work for other people. And I gotta tell you, if a Neil Gaiman script landed on my desk, <laughs> I'd be really nervous about editing. <laughs> Throw away it. all your red pens. <laughs> It would definitely be different for me to edit something like that because it, I would certainly question my edits on this. Mm-hmm. And that somebody could run in and go, oh, I can fix this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the problem we run into. And, and we've talked about this in a bunch of other places. But sometimes you you run into an issue when the producer versus the artist or the writer. And where you really run into problems, it's it's very much like day traders in the stock market. Day traders where they're they're watching the stock market going up and down all day long, and when something starts to dip, they they take you know, they sell off all their stock, they buy another stock. They're constantly buying and selling over and over and over again, and the truth is they don't tend to make a lot of money. The people who make money in the stock market, they find a good stock, they buy it, and they sit on it. They're mm-hmm. not making all these micro changes, and I think. Especially in movies and television, where people are following ratings, and they're following the box office, and they're trying to make micro changes mm-hmm. constantly. I think that's where they run into problems. I think the people who do well in medium of television and film is that they find creative people that they have faith in, good creative people, and then they let them do their work. They don't try to micromanage them, and they're not constantly sitting over their shoulders and, and editing and re-editing and, and making changes. And... I think that has bitten BBC in the butt in the past. <laughs> Certainly, it seems to have done that in Doctor Who. Because like I said, I was surprised when I saw Nightmare in Silver, although I didn't really hate it. It mm-hmm. didn't seem like it was up to snuff to what I knew Neil Gaiman was capable right. of. Mm-hmm. And now I know why. Because somebody else had to tamper in it. But I think the BBC had better figure out that they can't sit there and watch the ratings the entire time with Doctor Who. They need to have faith in their creative team. And if they don't have faith in their creative team, fine, get somebody else. But let them do Mm -hmm. their job. You can't be a good creative. You can't create great things if you've got somebody sitting over your shoulder, you know, naysaying you the whole time or making changes. Very often that happens in, in films and in television where you know, the producers will do something that winds up sabotaging your own mm-hmm. your own work. That's why there's so many people love director's cuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, producers aren't necessarily the people who understand what makes a good edit. They're looking at numbers. Mm-hmm. They're looking at box offices. They're looking at ratings. They're looking at a lot of that stuff. And they don't very often understand how the creative process works or even what really goes into making a good television show or a movie. But they're the money people, and so mm-hmm. you wind up having having to listen to them, even if they do things that wreck your project. And so <laughs> I think in a real sense, that's a reason why a lot of these self-made things that are coming out now, now that with the internet and 
different websites, you have the ability to put stuff out on your own. Mm-hmm. I think that that's why there's a lot of great independent stuff out there because they're not beholden to some producer that because they've got a few million dollars and they can throw into your movie, they get final cut on something Mm -hmm. when they don't really understand the process and and not really creative on themselves. But as far as I can tell at this point, everything as far as Chris Chibnall leaving is speculation. Nobody's come out and said, this is what's going to happen. I really hope that's not the case. I hope so. Because... First of all, I want to see Chris Chimnall get the chance to to do something with the show. I mean, he's taking it in some different places, which a fat, you know, which I'm really liking right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really liking the things that Jodie Whittaker is doing with the Doctor. And if she winds up leaving after one season, I'm really afraid that people are going to go, "Well, hey, we tried this woman as a Doctor thing oh, and didn't yeah. work." And that's right. not exactly. I don't ever want the BBC to to be afraid to take chances with Doctor Who because if you become afraid to take chances with Doctor Who, you're going to ruin the show. Because mm-hmm. this is a show that absolutely needs to be able to take chances and has to expand and grow. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just going to die on the vine. So, But let's hope that doesn't happen. Right. And so, since we were talking about Doctor Who, let's talk about last week's episode. Yeah. You know, this season has given us such good histories. Yeah. Um, we've had just like what, two futuristic or sci-fi, you know, in space or other planets. But this season, we've got some great histories. And mm-hmm. we step back into a fun period of time, which was witch trials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we go back to the 17th century and King James I. Mm-hmm. Yep. In Pendle Hill, England. Now, Pendle Hill was famous in England in the same way that Salem was famous here. Mm-hmm. That's where witch trials were. That's where mm-hmm. so many people were accused and executed, was in Pendle. Oh, yeah. And this was certainly a crazy episode because you spend a lot of time going, well, who am I supposed to be sympathetic for? Right. And, of course, with what they've set with Doctor Who, the ones that feel like, okay, these are definitely the villains, you're almost afraid not to invest that <laughs> way because you're like, they're going to they're gonna swerve me. <laughs> so even when they don't swerve you, they kind of swerve you, you know? <laughs> There was just like a a lot of, we'll say, complicated issues. Mm. It wasn't a cut and dry situation. Mm -hmm. And so you you had a lot of people who were basically doing things, bad things, because they were scared. Right. And And understandably so. Right. And that's what I was thinking when the, the girl turned on the doctor. But that's exactly, you know... In performing the Crucible, you know, it's the exact same thing. If I don't turn against them, I'm going to die. I'm going to get, you know, right. dunked in the water. And yeah, yes. As far as the dunking stool and getting dunked in the water, I have to tell you, I felt really bad for Jodie Whittaker because <laughs> that's, you know, the English countryside and she was wet. Uh-huh. And that had to be miserable. And cold and mud. There's all kinds, so much mud. In yeah. It. I mean, not just, you know, that was a, a part of the story, but also, you know, the mud is very, <laughs> in England, they've got special mud over there. Oh, yeah. The mud ain't no joke. <laughs> this was one where I knew I, I knew that Miss Whitaker was earning her paycheck. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she had to stay wet for a while. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as you're filming during the day, well, continuity, we got to douse yeah. you again. Get a, constantly spraying you down and uh, yeah. with water bottles and hoses. And I figured you'd get a kick out of the Houdini line. Uh, yes. I'm good at holding my breath and getting out of chains. <laughs> yeah, I was like, please give me a Houdini reference. Yes. Well, there you go. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I got to be honest, of course, when when the uh, donkey chair came up and the ch- you know the chains were there, but she was gone, I'm like, oh, she did a Houdini, <laughs> and she uh, did, yeah, <laughs> she absolutely did. So now next week's going to be another, I think, a moment in the past where it's going to be in Norway. They didn't really give us a whole lot of details about the next week's episode, except that there seems like there's some sort of a portal that's sucking people in and mm. kidnapping them or whatever, mm-hmm. and so people are disappearing. Okay. And it's one of those situations where apparently they're afraid of attracting the attention of this thing because, you know, it's cold in the middle of Norway and they're not burning fires because they don't want the smoke to signal whatever this thing is. And oh, so wow. Okay. It's like this small village that's just terrified of whatever this thing is. Mm-hmm. It takes you away is the name of the episode. It takes it, you away. Uh, yeah. It's the boogeyman's out there. <laughs> yeah. Possibly so. But that'll be next week. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we also got the mid-season finale for The Walking Dead. Yep. Oh, and a lot of stuff happened. A whole lot. Uh, we finally get our reveal of the whispers. Yeah. We know what they are now. Yeah, I was surprised that they actually tipped their hat on that one. Mm-hmm. Didn't let it ride a yeah, little Yeah, didn't longer. let it ride at mm-hmm. least, you know. T- but what a great reveal, though. Mm-hmm. You have this army of leather faces. <laughs> Isn't that about the worst? Yes. And, you know, knowing it was coming and like seeing they're, they are there in the fog and Michonne's looking at her sword and it's red blood yeah. and just the look on her face. She said, what the heck is going on Right. Here? And the fact that they're basically sewn into these, you know, it's not a matter of mm. that they're just wearing these skins. They're sewed into these skins. It's pretty horrendous. Yeah. Ugh. And... One thing they talked about in Talking Dead, which I hadn't thought about until they mentioned it, was, you know, Greg Nicotero and his special effects team, they have a bit of a challenge to them because they have to create something that looks like a walker, but it's definitely not a walker. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been creating walkers for forever, which are basically people wearing masks mm-hmm. that look like walkers in real life. So now they have to create people that are wearing walker masks as far as the story's concerned. <laughs> so they basically have to fake... What they've been doing for real. Right. Yeah. Make it pull over. Because I was, uh, I had seen some pictures from the comics. And, you know, when you get close up, you could clearly see the skin and the, the holes where the eyes are. Right. And I think that's what's going to really make these characters come through. Because their eyes are not going to be glazed over. They're going to have very expressive eyes. Yeah. And uh, we only caught a glimpse. We didn't actually see him a clim- glimpse of Beta? Beta. Beta, yes. Getting uh, into getting into a, a nice tussle with Daryl. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're going to talk about this episode. we got to talk about the... Uh, <gasps> uh, we lost Jesus. Jesus died for you. Oh, yeah. sorry. Uh, yep, Jesus is gone. Yeah. That was, uh, of course, the big shock is as he's killing these walkers and the one ducks mm-hmm. and then steps up behind him and just, just knifes him. Right, because... You know, he thinks he's fighting walkers, and walkers do certain things. Right. They don't duck, they don't come up behind you, and they certainly don't whisper in your ear. No. Oh. No, they don't. And, oh, it was such, such good horror. Yeah, I mean, the that- The fog and the- In the graveyard, In the yeah. graveyard. That was such classic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we get a really nice cliffhanger. You know, how are they getting out of this? And, of course, we know that they are. How are they mm-hmm. going to get out from the middle of this horrible mess? Mm-hmm. Because- they were able to kill four or five, maybe, of these the whisperers, but there's a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. And are they all whisperers? Are they some walkers that walked in with the whisperers? Yeah. Well, I uh. mean, 
if you've read the comics, you know that basically the way the Whispers work is they dress in the skins of the walkers and they stay in the herds. Mm-hmm. And they steer the herds. To me, that's what it's looking like in the show, is that they are steering yeah. the herds. And, you know, when if you're a Whisperer and you're walking with the herd, if you slightly turn, another walker is going to slightly turn with you because right. they're, they're attracted by your movement. So that's what I picture is happening whenever, you know, they're watching and walking. And they're like, there's no way they can turn. There's no way that herd can turn. And they do. So I figure that's what's happening. Yeah, they've gotten to a point. Of course, there was that one scene where Daryl throws the firecrackers. Mm-hmm. And the, the walkers turn for a little bit, but then they go back to where they were mm-hmm. heading. And that was a really scary moment. Stay because the course, right? Stay the mm-hmm. course. We're we're trying to catch up with these people. We, we're going to ignore this. It's like walkers never do that. Mm-mm. And so that makes herds really scary because if there's there are whisperers in this herd, you know, they become the brains of this mob. Mm-hmm. And they have the ability, of course, because, of course, walkers are instinctual. And if you, you know, you put some of the whispers in there to help steer the herd, you know, the herd becomes a weapon. They're like sheepdogs. Yeah. And they're putting them exactly where they want them. And, yeah. uh, it's, you know, our people have up until now been using, I guess, diversionary tactics. Right. Um, just kind of like gently steering people, um, right. not actually turning or, yeah, uh, getting actual control. And that is. But without going into too many details, because, of course, I don't want to spoil anything uh, for the show, since it looks like they're doing things from the comics. But what really makes the Whispers frightening is basically their worldview and how they deal with life in general and what they think of other people. This is something that's completely different than what we've dealt with before. Their worldview and their philosophy is not only very different, but also very, very frightening. Hmm. And... On top of all this, Negan's out of his cage. Yes. Oh, wow. The whole moment was, you know, adorable. (laughs) Yeah. I know what happens in the comics, and it doesn't look like they're going to go necessarily completely down the road that they did with the comics. But I I can definitely tell you Negan's involvement with the Whisperers, it'll be interesting to see if they they do that in the show, because it'll be different, we'll just say. Okay. Wow. We'll have to see. But they announced that it's going to be February of next year is mm. when they'll start start up again with The Walking Dead. And so for the next three or four weeks, of course, we're just going to be talking Doctor Who because we still got three or four more episodes of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And so we'll just go to What the Who since what Want the, the who? since Want the Dead will be on hold yep. uh, until February. No but more Who the Dead. It'll be What the Who what? and Marvel and DC movies coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is our last week in November. December is coming. Uh of course, in December, we'll have Aquaman. The, the latest trailer came out, which was amazing again. Awesome. And ladies and gentlemen listening, if you really want it, you put in the comments which Hallmark Christmas movie you want us to watch, and we will watch <laughs> it, and we will talk about it. See? You, oh, is that what we're going to do? <laughs> See, this is this is why we need to talk about this stuff. I actually saw a pair of uh, socks that on the soles that said, if you can read this, I'm watching a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Well, I mean, talking about Hallmark movies, of course, we're getting Once Upon a Deadpool. I don't know why talking about Hallmark movies, but we're going to be getting our Deadpool's version of Princess Bride. Right. And apparently there are like eight scenes that are going to be added to this movie. Really? Things that weren't in the original movie. So there'll be a lot of new material in here besides apparently the, the all the stuff with Fred Savage. Well, they be- would have had to cut a lot. 
because to make it a PG-13 movie. So I guess they'd have to make it up somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I also found out that the proceeds for the movie is going to fudge cancer. Oh, yeah. Of course, the original name for the charity wasn't fudge, but of course, mm-hmm. now they're PG-13. They got to say fudge cancer. But yeah. you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Sure. When that stuff comes out. Yeah, I've seen Stephen Amell shirts that say that on it. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, the next few weeks, we'll have that to talk about, and uh, one more month to the new year, and a lot of stuff planned for 2019. And we'll have a lot to talk about next week. And so, with that said, we come to the end of Episode 48. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there... We're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.